I thought, well, since we've just, I've just eulogized a poet, I thought, well, you know, there's a really great film about poetry from the 90s with a black cast, because, you know, this is February, black films. And I thought, well, why don't we just talk about Love Jones, huh? You know, and if you've ever seen Love Jones, my God. Um, the poetry, though, of Love Jones, you know, is, uh, well, that's where it's at. This is a little something I've been working on. It's new. I call it uh, a blues for Nina. Yeah, baby. Yeah. I'll be your slave I've got to admit girl you're the shit girl and I'm digging you like a grave now do they call you daughter to the spinning pulsar or maybe queen of 10,000 moons sister to the distant yet rising star is your name Yemiya? oh hell no it's got to be Oshun Is that a smile me put on your face, child? Wide as a field of jasmine and glover. Talk that talk, honey. Walk that walk, money. How on legs that a spank Jehovah. <laughs> Who am I? It's not important. But they call me brother to the night. And right now, I'm the blues in your left thigh. Trying to become the funk in your right. Who am I? I'll be whoever you say. But right now, I'm the sight raped hunter, blindly pursuing you as my prey. And I just want to give you injections of sublime erections and get you to dance to my rhythm. Make you dream archetypes of black angels in flight upon wings of distorted, contorted, metaphoric jism. Fuck your man. I ain't worried about him. It's you who I want to step to my scene. Because rather than deal with the fallacy of this dry-ass reality, I'd rather dance and romance your sweet ass in a wet dream. Mm. Who am I? <laughs> well, they all call me brother to the night. And right now, I'm the blues in your left thigh. Trying to become the funk in your right. Is that all right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's our character Darius. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was such a good movie. Theodore Witcher, his only directorial film. You know, Love Jones was not a success. That doesn't matter because it's a success success to me. Love Jones is a 1997 American romantic comedy drama film written and directed by Theodore Witcher in his feature film debut. It stars Lorenz Tate, Nia Long, Isaiah Washington, Bill Bellamy, hello, and Lisa Nicole Carson. Two of the poems recited by Nia Long's character, Nina, were written by Sonia Sanchez and are included in her book, like the singing coming off the drums love poems although the movie received favorable reviews it was not a financial success who cares it has however a cult following for its realistic characters and unorthodox take on romance genre it is theodore witcher's only directorial work to date in Chicago, you have Darius Lovehall, played by Lawrence Tate, is a poet who is giving a reading at the Sanctuary, an upscale nightclub presenting jazz and poetry to a bohemian clientele. Shortly before his set, he meets Nina Mosley, Nia Long, a gifted photographer. They exchange small talk, and Darius makes his interest clear that he retitles his love poem, A Blues for Nina. Oh my. Yep. Great cast. Really great cast. Um, great soundtrack. Really great soundtrack. The producers of the film said they wanted to make a modern film about African-American life that did not use violence and recreational drugs as elements in the story. Okay. Mm, that's true. This is such a great movie. But like I said, we're talking about it because of the poetry. This, this is by Sonia Sanchez, the poem she reads. Something that I've been working on for a while, and I was hoping that a certain someone would be here tonight. But I don't see him, so I guess I'm going to get it out anyway. funny what you can do in front of a room full of people that you can't even seem to do in front of one person. It is the color of light, the shape of sound high in the evergreens. It lies suspended in hills, a blue line in a red sky. I am looking at sound. I'm hearing the brightness of high bluffs and almond trees. I am tasting the wilderness of lakes, rivers, and streams, caught in an angle of song. I'm remembering water that glows in the dawn, the motion tumbled in earth. Life hidden in mounds. I am dancing a bright beam of light. I am remembering love. I look rich. I'm going to talk to you, man. 
So those are two of the moments that are actually on the soundtrack of Love Jones. I have the soundtrack somewhere. Here we go. Um, there, there are some really funny moments in this film. Oh wait, here we go. The food was crazy. Hey, look, I'm Forever and consistently be broke. Okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> now, when a man gets a heart on, you know where the blood comes from, right? right. I love that part. You know where the blood comes from, right? His brain mm-hmm. and his feet. And his feet. Mm-hmm. True. So A, he's stupid. And B, he can't run. Only a woman got That's how she got you, right? That's it. That's what happened. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. But nah, see, that's some bullshit, because I got, I, I got it down. I got it. I figured it out. I figured it out. This is becoming really Oh, wait, wait, wait. What? what? Yeah, all right. I'm for real. We're getting ready to have some Hollywood philosophizing. Yeah. Uh, Hollywood got the answer. Oh, okay. man. Think about this. Anatomy. Now, if God was really a woman, y'all know how God thinks? She'd put the dick right under the chin. She'd... <laughs> Man. Y'all sure know how to treat a person. 
So those are some really great moments from the film Love Jones. Watch it. It is such a great movie. I loved it the first time I saw it. You know, um, the soundtrack is so good. My God, that soundtrack. Yeah. Ah. This is a very pivotal moment. I won't say where it is in the film. Long time no see. Yeah. I uh, enjoyed your poem up there. Look, I know there have been a lot of mistakes. We both made them. I apologize for my part in that. And all that, that nonsense in the past, I don't give a shit about that anymore. I never stop thinking about you. I want us to be together again. For, for as long as we can be. As usual, your timing couldn't be worse. You always want what you want when you want it. Why is everything so urgent? Let me tell you something. This here, right now, at this very moment, is all that matters to me. I love you. That's urgent like a motherfucker. How do we do this? I don't know. I live in New York. I don't care. All right, so what's the first step? We can start by getting out of this rain. Ooh, yes. <laughs> That's Love Jones. That's the music by Terrence Blanchard. Um, my God, what a what an amazing film. And I hope that you all watch it. You got Nia Long as Nina Mosley. Isaiah Washington as Savion Garrison. Lisa Nicole Carson as Josie Nich- Nichols. Remember? Alan Beale, she was there. Bill Bellamy as Hollywood. Leonard Roberts as Eddie Coles. Bernadette Speaks as Sheila Downs. Kali Kalin Marvin Cox. And Mr. Lorenz Tate as Darius love hall as always unpleasant dreams and well get that love jones good evening and welcome to the dr zeus film podcast you know I think I have to go back and rewatch Boys in the Hood. I was going to talk about it. I was like, it's been a while since I've watched it. But, you know, um, John Singleton, and we're going to talk about so much 
in the coming weeks because well actually coming days because february is almost over but you know i want to continue talking about black film um mainly because of what you know hollywood itself still has eons to go um but john singleton as a director and what he was able to accomplish okay um he died not too long ago you know that title boys in the hood comes from of course nwa eze but the movie um oh my god the movie what a cast you know what i mean what what a cast in terms of you got lawrence fishburne and you've got cuba gooding jr and um my god uh angela bassett nia long ice cube that was ice cube's first movie you know cash for your home you know what that is what are y'all amos and andy are you stepping and he's fetching i'm talking about the message what it stands for it's called gentrification it's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. To bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything black. Black owned with black money. Just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folks shooting each other and selling that crack rock and shit. Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on the TV, that's what you see. Black people selling the rock, pushing the rock, pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. Wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that shit, but they want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves. Yeah. Who is it that's dying out here on these streets every night? Y'all. Yeah. Young brothers like yourselves. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? I'm gonna shoot the motherfucker if he don't kill me first. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Huh? Whoa, that's such a movie. And here he is, Ice Cube in his film debut. Who knew Who knew that Ice Cube, this iconic rapper, would be this really great actor? I mean, come on. I think he knew. What's up? What's up? Yo, cuz. I, I know why you got the car last night. Shouldn't have been there in the first place. 
You don't want that shit to come back to haunt you. I've been up this early in a long time. Turned on the TV this morning. Had this shit on about. About living in a violent, a violent world. Showed all these foreign places. Foreigners living on. started thinking, man. Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. They had all this foreign shit. They ain't have shit on my brother, man. Got no brother. <laughs> Got no mother neither. She loved that fool more than she loved me. You know what? Um I mean, you think of it, you think of the 90s and you think of, okay, you got LL Cool J, you got Will Smith, Fresh Prince, you got Queen Latifah, you got Ice Cube, who would all go into acting and who would all continue. And yeah, but you know, Boys in the Hood, it, it is a coming age of story in the hood. Directed by John Singleton Rest in peace In his feature directorial debut Cuba Gooding Jr Ice Cube Morris Chestnut Lawrence Fishburne Nia Long Who was in Love Jones We talked about last night Regina King Who is probably going to get nominated And win for directing One Night in Miami This is a cast And Angela Bassett Okay Um Boys in the Hood follows Trey Styles, Cuba Gooding Jr., who is sent to live with his father, played by Lawrence Fishburne in South Central Los Angeles, surrounded by the neighboring booming gang culture. The film's title refers to the 1987 NWA song of the same name, written by Ice Cube. Boys in the Hood premiered on July 2nd, 1991, and it was theatrical release in the United States 10 days later. The film became a critical and commercial success. Praise for its emotional weight, acting, and writing. It grossed $57 million. It was nominated for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay, making Singleton the youngest person and first African-American first to be nominated for Best director <sighs> this movie it takes place from 1984 to 1991 30 years ago mm. Mm. my god this movie 
Singleton wrote the film based on his own life and that of the people he knew. When applying for film school, one of the questions on the application form was to describe three ideas for films. One of the ideas Singleton composed was titled Summer of 84, which later evolved into Boys in the Hood. During writing, Singleton was influenced by the 1986 film Stand By Me, which inspired both an early scene where four boys take a trip to see a dead body and the closing fade out of the main character, Doughboy. Upon completion... Singleton was protective of his script, insisting that he be the one to direct the project. Later explaining at a retrospective screening of the film, I wasn't going to have somebody from Idaho or Encino direct this movie. He sold the script to Columbia Pictures in 1991. 1990, who greenlit the film immediately out of interest in making a film similar to the comedy drama film Do the Right Thing in 1989. The role of Doughboy was specifically written for Ice Cube, whom Singleton met while working as an intern at the Arsenio Hall show. Singleton, who also noted the studio was unaware of Ice Cube standing as a member of the group NWA. Singleton claims Gooding and Chestnut were cast because they were the first ones who showed up to the auditions, while Fishburne was cast after Singleton met him on the set of Pee Wee's Playhouse, where Singleton worked as a production and set assistant and security guard. Long grew up in an area the film depicts and has said it was important as a young actor to me that this film feel real because I knew what it was going to be like to go home from school and hear gunshots at night. Bassett referred to the filmmaking as her filmmaker as her little brother on set. I'd been in LA for about three years and I was trying and trying to do the film. She said, we talked, I auditioned and he gave me a shot. I've been waiting to work with him ever since or wanting the film was a shot in sequence with Singleton later noting that as the film goes on, the camera work gets better. As Singleton was finding his foothold as a director, he has a key cameo in the film appearing as a postman handing over mail to Brenda as Doughboy and Ricky are having a scuffle in the front yard. You know, the cultural impact of Boys in the Hood. My God. Hmm. Boys in the Hood kickstart the acting careers of Gooding, Chestnut, and Long, who were respect relatively unknown before it. It also launched Ice Cube's career as a Hollywood actor and was Angela Bassett and Regina King's first significant film role. The film had been referenced many times in other works, including works by Lupe Fiasco, The Game, and Ice Cube himself. In 1994, British jungle dj duo remark and louis produced a song titled ricky the song itself is built of various sound bites from the movie the particular scene where ricky is murdered ice cube also referenced in the film in the song check yourself satan i make dough but don't call me dough boy this ain't no fucking motion picture in the night in 2008 film be kind rewind there is a small reference to the scene where ricky is shot in on july 12th 2011 episode of her self-titled talk show monique celebrated the 20th anniversary of the release of boys in the hood with the director john singleton cuba goody jr yo-yo and regina king american rapper vince staples references the scene where ricky gets shot in the back in the song north north informing the listener of the film's impact of on his upbringing in 2016 21 savage referenced ricky's murder in the song this this movie 
oh my god and it was parodied for don't be a medicine south central while drinking your juice in the hood and i do need to go back and rewatch it but i we got to just talk about john singleton who died in 2019 at the age of 51 and it is sad and um my god what a what a career boys in the hood 1991 poetic justice 1993 higher learning 1995 rosewood 1997 whoa that was a tough one shaft 2000 baby boy 2001 too fast and too furious 2003 four brothers 2005 and abduction 2011 the late john singleton and boys in the hood is one of those movies i remember the first time i watched it because i had seen it being parodied and don't be a menace of south central so i had never seen it and then i watched it and i was blown away but you know we all know okay when ice cube has that gun in his head oh my he's like check yourself fool remember that but only ice cube could say it i'm not gonna put it on the show tonight um my god just think of all those people i just mentioned who have really i mean are a part of the film industry and at that point they were just beginning lawrence fishburne had been doing movies since he was a teenager i mean he lied about his age to get a part in apocalypse now come on you know angela bassett yeah cuba gooding jr morris chestnut nia long um yeah such a profound movie released in 1991 and it's 30th anniversary is this year so as always unpleasant dreams and watch boys in the hood it is a tough movie to watch but those clips that i played for you i played for you for a reason to give you a taste of the brilliance of john singleton what an amazing cast remember that's a cast of unknowns and now Everybody knows their name. Good night. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight I thought I would mention briefly... We're going to talk about him at a later time, Gordon Parks, who directed Shaft, who's also a photographer for Life magazine. And today, he had a long-term love affair with Miss Gloria Vanderbilt, and today would have been her 97th birthday. And you know, Gloria Vanderbilt has been on the Dr. Zeus podcast before it went to the film podcast. So I thought, you know, let's have Gloria on. So if we can, um, you know, seance her in. We haven't, I haven't done that in a while, you know, and uh, if we can uh, very, uh, oh, there she is. Gloria Vanderbilt, welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. 
Oh, sweetheart. Oh, you have woken me from a long, eternal nap. Oh, so you want to talk about Gordon Parks. A love affair that I like to keep private. No details. You understand, sweetheart. But I will say, I knew him. And when he was going to do Shaft, it was a moment. Very interesting. Did you and him ever talk about the legacy of the film Shaft? Many times. Because it was the early days of black exploitation. I did not resume an affair with Gordon Parks until years later. As you know, from the 60s until the 70s, I was married to Wyatt Cooper. You see, Gordon Parks was a revolutionary, a Renaissance man. There was no controversy because I never made public of it. People knew that I was in a relationship with him. Did I care what some wasps would think that I was dating a black man? No. I'm Gloria Vanderbilt. I can have my cake and, you know, I I live my life openly. I've had lesbian experiences. My son is a homosexual. You get the drift. Did he ever meet Gordon Parks? He did on many occasions, dear. You see, Gordon Parks did so much for media that people don't give him the recognition. And he truly deserves. Well, they gave you the recognition for the genes. Oh, of course, in the Vanderbilt name. But I will say, in terms of an artistic eye, and it was, it was, you know, it was evident that Gordon was going to go into filmmaking. He had such an extraordinary eye for photography. So iconic. He also dabbled in music. And so tonight, as we just salute Gordon Parks. I mean, he lived a very long life. He was in his 90s when he died. Yes, and we were in a relationship. We were in a very central, very loving, and under- a lot of freedom in this uh, relationship. And that's all I can say about it. But we did have those conversations about Shaft and his photography, his place in the world. Do you, do you ever feel that he regretted Shaft? At first, no, because then they coined it black exploitation. And he and I, sweetheart, had many, many discussions about art. And he was one of the best. Thank you, Gloria Vanderbilt. And so, you know, Gordon Parks, I mean, we've all, Richard Roundtree, Isaac Hayes doing the music. Come on. You know, that Shaft is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Shaft. Then we can dig it. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Yeah. 
What an extraordinary film by an extraordinary director. I think that was his first feature film, which was Shaft. And then you've got Isaac Hayes, who went on to win an Oscar for, you know, the song Shaft. (laughs) An iconic moment. You know, if we could dive a little more deeper into Mr. Gordon Parks. Because I feel that within cinema... You know, when you've made a splash like that, and he he truly made a splash. And, you know, when we say Gordon Parks, I mean, you know. Born November 30th, 1912, died March 7th, 2006, the age of 93. Was an American photographer, musician, writer, and film director who became prominent in the U.S. documentary photojournalism in the 1940s through the 1970s, particularly in issues of civil rights, poverty, and African Americans, and in glamour photography. Parks was the first African American to produce and direct major motion pictures, developing films relating to the experience of slaves and struggling black Americans, and creating the black exploitation genre. He is best remembered for his iconic photos of poor Americans during the 1940s, taken for a federal government project. For this photogenic essays for Life magazine, and as the director of the 1971 film, 50 years ago, Shaft, Parks also was an author, poet, and composer. Yeah, what a, what an extraordinary icon, you know, commercial and civic photography, film. Here it is, Shaft, a 1971 detective film directed by Parks starring Richard Roundtree as John Shaft, became a major hit that spawned a series of films that would be labeled as black exploitation. The black exploitation genre was one in which images of lower class blacks being involved with drugs, violence, and women were exploited for commercially successful films featuring black actors and was popular with a section of the black community. Parks' Parks's feel for settings was confirmed by Shaft with its portrayal of the super cool leather clad black private detective hired to find the kidnapped daughter of a Harlem racketeer. Parks also directed the 1972 sequel, Shaft's Big Score, in which the protagonist finds himself caught in the middle of rival gangs of racketeers. Parks' other directorial credits include The Super Cops, 1974, and Lead Belly, 1976, a biographical film of the blues musician Huddy Ledbetter. In the 1980s, he made several films for television and composed music and libretto for Martin, a ballet tribute to Martin Luther King Jr., which premiered in Washington, D.C. during 1989. It was screened on the national television on King's birthday in 1990. In 2000, uh, an uh, an homage, he had a cameo appearance in the Shaft sequel that starred Samuel L. Jackson in the title role as a namesake and nephew of the original John Shaft in the cameo scene. Parks was sitting playing chess with when Jackson greeted him as Mr. P. Mm. What an extraordinary icon. 
Oh, here it is. For many years, Parks was romantically involved with Gloria Vanderbilt, the railroad heiress and designer. Their relationship evolved into a deep friendship that endured throughout his lifetime. Parks had four children, Gordon Jr., David, Leslie, and Tony. His oldest son, Gordon Parks Jr., whose talented talents resembled his father's, was killed in a plane crash in 1979 in Kenya, Kenya, where he had gone to direct a film. Parks has five grandchildren. Malcolm X honored Parks when he asked him to be the godfather of his daughter, uh, Kobel Shabazz. Mm. Parks is referenced in Kendrick Lamar's music video for his song Element. In the music video, some of Parks' iconic photo- photographs are transferred into movie vin- vignettes. <sighs> and so tonight, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, we pay homage and give tribute to Mr. Gordon Parks wherever you are. And Gloria Vanderbilt for just talking so sweetly about her friend and former lover. As always, unpleasant dreams. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Friday. It's almost Friday. But in 1995, 26 years ago, an independent film with a script written by Doc, what, uh, Ice Cube and DJ Pooh, directed by Gary F. Gray. F. Gary Gray, yeah. Comes out. And it's, well, it's about Friday because you ain't got shit to do. Ice Cube's on the soundtrack. Cypress Hill. Dr. Dre would keep the heads ringing. That movie. I mean, it spawned a sequel. Why? Once was enough. I have never seen the sequel. I've seen bits and pieces of Friday sequel. No, thank you. F. Gary Gray. Released uh, April 26, 1995. It is a buddy stoner comedy. It is F. Gary Gray's dictatorial debut. Written by... Ice Cube and DJ Pooh it follows Craig it's smoky unemployed friends who must pay a local drug dealer on a Friday the film was the first installment in the Friday franchise <laughs> also stars Nia Long Bernie Mac Tiny Zeus Lester rest in peace John Witherspoon rest in peace Anna Marie Ho- Hosford Regina King Paula uh, J. Parker, Faison Love, hello, DJ Pooh, Anthony Johnson, Tony Cox, Kathleen Bradley, Yvette Wilson, rest in peace. Oh my god, this movie. Before, oh, this is interesting. Before Friday's release, movies such as Boys in the Hood, also starring Ice Cube, and Colors portrayed life in the hood as violent and menacing. Ice Cube and DJ Pooh felt that these films did not portray the full picture of living in the hood. Missing a more lighthearted element. With Ice Cube later saying, we had fun in the hood. We used to trip off the neighborhood. Therefore, Cube and DJ Pooh decided to create a film that would portray that environment. 
The script was only the third Ice Cube had ever written. The previous two were undeveloped. With the film, Ice Cube intended to make a hood classic, one that could be watched over and over and over again, and it has. According to Ice Cube, a majority of the film is autobiographical, with much of it being based on events that occurred in his neighborhood growing up. Smokey was based on DJ Pooh's stint as a drug dealer, while Craig, being fired on his day off, was based on Ice Cube's cousin, who was working as a driver for United Parcel Service at the time. Prior to writing, the duo realized their inexperience as filmmakers was unlikely to attract major film studios and floated the idea of financing the film themselves. For a time, the idea of making the film in black and white to save money was considered. Before their pair decided on approaching New Line Cinema about producing the film, which had achieved success with the House Party series, a film type the duo aimed to replicate. New Line agreed to finance the production, but requested that the role of Smokey initially be played by DJ Pooh. Be played by someone with more experience. Ice Cube and Pooh immediately decided on Tucker and discovering the comic through Def Comedy Jam. However, Tucker's final first audition was poorly received, but was granted more time to try again at a later date. Tucker soon contacted Angela Means, aiming to work with her acting coach, but she invited him to a workshop session over dinner to help him secure the role. According to Means, by the time this, that spaghetti was gone, Chris was smoky. Whew. Ice Cube was granted license to select the film's director and decided on F. Gary Gray, who was a music video director. See? Gray had previously worked with Ice Cube on a number of occasions and was also aiming to establish a foothold in Hollywood through a short film. Ice Cube instead offered him the role for Friday. Attracted to the fact that he and Gray had similar backgrounds, feeling the director would accurately capture the film's aesthetic. Gray said that Ice Cube starring in a comedy scared the shit out of me, as he doubted whether audiences would buy it into Ice Cube portraying a role so different from his public persona. Gray explained, Ice Cube was the toughest man in America, and when you take someone who delivers hard-hitting social issues and hardcore gangster rap, who has a hardcore view on politics, you never think comedy. Mm. Yep. Okay, there's two sequels. Friday, or next Friday, and Friday after next. I've never watched either. A fourth installment, tentatively titled Last Friday, was been, has been in the works for several years. Oh, I forgot there was an animated series. <laughs> oh my god. This movie. You know, I've talked about this movie before on my show. My favorite is the opening. With... Um, a very legendary actress from Sanford and Son. You know, she'd always say, come on, sucker. Well, this is uh, one of my favorites. This, this is, you know you're in for a ride when this opens the movie, okay? All right. The Jeho- Jehovah Witness return all right all right Luan, lawanda page may she rest in peace if you if you've never seen i they used to play uh reruns of sanford and son i am aware of miss lawanda page and so when i saw friday i was laughing and here she opens the movie with ice cube 
That's one of my well, one of the many favorite moments I have in Friday. And of course, you know when Dan Rather interviewed Ice Cube and asked him about, well, this moment. Oh, I need to borrow your car right quick. What kind of shit is that? <laughs> Most people want to borrow sugar. They eating ketchup. You want to borrow my car? Hell no. Come on. Well, let me borrow a joint. You need to borrow a job with your broke ass. Always trying to smoke up somebody's shit. Then hell on, Felicia. Remember that. Remember it. Write it down. Take a picture. I don't give a fuck. Bye, Felicia. People on TV have said it. People in the news have said it. Bye, Felicia. Yeah. Robin Roberts of ABC, Good Morning America, once said, Bye, Felicia. And I thought, Whoa. Okay. It was awesome. But you know, you're in for a run for your money when Dan Rather, legendary newsman, in his big interview, asks Ice Cube. About by Felicia from Friday. That's how legendary Friday is. Of course, we got to talk about Tiny Zeus Lester Debo. Okay, I got a bike. Remember when he's saying that shit? Remember when he's saying that shit? You know, here's why I'm talking about Friday. Okay, we're talking about black cinema and how Friday. You know, directed by F. Gary Gray, written by Ice Cube and DJ Pooh, starring Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. You know, mostly a black cast. And how it, it became a universal film. Everybody loved Friday. White people, Asian people, Mexican people, uh, Italian people, uh, black, black people. Everyone loved Friday. Everybody. Well... Dolores Tucker, probably not, because Dolores Tucker just hated everything hip-hop. Remember Dolores Tucker? Remember her? And she went after Ice Cube, and she went after Tupac, but you know that's besides the point. Also, um, yeah, but it's all about Friday. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attach the show that I did previously about Friday, Okay. So you get a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new, you know what I mean, for the podcast. Because um, I have a little more energy within that. But before we go on to that, I want to talk about, well, the great Betty Davis once said of Joan Crawford. 
I don't. I won't speak ill of her because. Um, they say, okay, when, when Joan Crawford died, she said, I won't speak ill of the dead, but I'll say something good. It's good she's dead. I could say that about Rush Limbaugh. And you're probably saying, oh, that's not nice. Want me to remind you of something? Something that Rush Limbaugh did and later t- and took it back, but the damage was already done. This is something. Rush Limbaugh had a segment called AIDS Update set to music where he mocked dying gay people. So I don't really want to hear about speaking ill of the dead. And that, of course, is from a very brilliant man who reminded us, you know, yeah, all the conservatives, you know, oh, my God, Rush Limbaugh, he's dead. Don't talk shit about him. Well, he used to make fun of people who were dying of AIDS. You think you think that's funny? It's not. He's a toxic man. He's dead. Good riddance. And I can say that on my show because it's my show and I can say what I want. <sighs> but I will I will also say, you know, you take a let's take a page from Dave Chappelle. The night of the election or the night that the that it was finally declared. The election didn't have a de- declaration until days later. And Dave Chappelle was hosting Saturday Night Live. And he said something very profound. A lot of people are upset. A lot of people are hurting. He says four years ago, it was a a similar scenario. And so, you know, you've got people with MAGA hats praying at the polling station. I thought, oh my God, the Kool-Aid has been unleashed. Okay. So as a podcaster, I can say that. I can say that. And yeah, people could say, oh, well, we shouldn't say bad things about Rush Limbaugh. Oh, he said bad things about everybody. About everybody. And I know people who listen to him. I'm not going to judge them. But I will say, if you come for me and say, look, well, you shouldn't say bad things about someone who died. I'll say, well, he said that about millions of people who died of AIDS. You think that's right? Hmm? You can give me your conservative bullshit all day and try to defend it. But seriously, when you mock people who are dying of AIDS, that's fucked up. That's truly fucked up. Okay? Um, yeah, this is a film podcast, but I thought I'd say that. Say that for everyone to listen to. You know? So you can mourn, you can mourn Rush Limbaugh all you want. That motherfucker is dead and good riddance. Enjoy the episode about Friday coming up next. (laughs) Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. No special microphone tonight, although I should. Because I've been waiting to talk about this character, this actor, this icon. Not just a character, though. This man embodies grace, dignity. And on screen, nobody, nobody embodies this man's presence. You know, 
I want to talk about, well, <laughs> you know, sometimes Morgan Freeman says it best. And Morgan Freeman saluted this gentleman. Mr. Morgan Freeman. But I knew I was coming here. I sat down and wrote all this on paper. But I can't stand here and read from a paper and talk to you. Every man has his own heaven. And for me, heaven has always been being in the movies. And always in my heaven, since I first started thinking about it, I've had one bright light, Sidney Poitier. I do thank you. Isn't that amazing? So I thought, let's start off with that. Morgan Freeman, who is so amazing, who really doesn't feel there should be a Black History Month. Because he said, you're going you're gonna to regulate my history to one month? And I agree with him right there. We should be talking about characters and icons such as this every day of the year. And so we will. Mr. Sidney Portier, who is still with us. Hmm. Sydney, Sydney, Sydney. Oprah Winfrey does probably some of the best interviews with Sydney Portier because she is fully aware of the magnitude of his presence honoring him. Last night we talked about Dr. Maya Angelou. Tonight we're talking about Mr. Sydney Portier. <sighs> Born on Cat Island, Miami, Florida, February 20th, 1927. 1964, Portier won the Academy Award for Best Actress on his second nomination, the first one being The Defiant Ones with um, Tony Curtis. Sidney Portier won the Academy Award for Lilies of the Field. He became the first black male and Afro-Bohemian actor to win that award. He is the oldest living and earliest surviving Best Actor Academy Award winner. From 1997 to 2007, he served as the Bohemian ambassador to Japan. Mm. There's a lot of firsts with Sydney. In 1958, Portier starred with Tony Curtis as the Chained Together Escaped Convicts in The Defiant Ones, which received nine Academy Award nominations. Both actors received a nomination for Best Actor, with Portier's being the first for a Black actor, as well as a nomination for a BAFTA, which Portier won. In 1964, he won the Academy Award and Golden Globe Award for Best Actor for Lilies of the field in which he played a handyman helping a group of German-speaking nuns build a chapel or as they say a chapel Portier also received a claim for a raisin in the sun and a patch of blue and we talked about a patch of blue as a love story as guess who's coming to dinner um, to serve with love in 1967 Sidney Portier was a top actor of that year he had not one but three films 
to serve with love in the heat of the night and guess who's coming to dinner started out in Hollywood in the early 1950s in fact is on the AFI's 100 years 100 stars and I thought you know Morgan Morgan Freeman and so many others are are basically the legacy of Sidney Poitier when Sidney Poitier leaves this earth one day one day those are the beneficiaries and the younger ones as well of Mr. Sidney Poitier and my god what a what an icon it was always I, I always had resisted watching In the Heat of the Night that's such a tough movie and the, the barb and the dialogue between him and Rod Steiger and you know we live in such a divisive world now in such a divided world and I urge all of you to go and watch In the Heat of the Night there are some uncomfortable moments in that movie now there is a moment in that movie that is so iconic almost didn't happen is when Sidney Portier gets slapped and he slaps back in the heat of the night Ooh, he should have got an Oscar for that. And he didn't. Oh, my God. I'm a little overcome. But what a great actor. Made his film debut in No Way Out in 1950 with Richard Widmark. Yeah. Worked his way up in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, Lilies of the Field... That's such a great movie to win an Oscar for a, a comedy. Maybe there are a couple of Catholics in the Academy. I don't know. Or according to Jack Nicholson, there are a couple of nuts in the Academy. Well, Catholics and nuts, you know, they go hand in hand. Um, this is such a great scene. I'll read it to you in English. In the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Now that's not exactly what I had in mind, but you get the idea. What you get there? Proverbs 1 4. in that lot amongst us let us all have one person look i am a poor man i've got to work for wages now i can't work for matthew chapter six Aston, Read it in English. Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, not even Solomon in all his glories was arrayed as one of these. Consider the lilies. 
you go to bed, tomorrow Sunday is the mass in town is nine by the clock. I'm a Baptist. I don't go to mass. We go. Well, how'd you get there before I came along? We walk every Sunday. Now we got you. Now, damn it! <gasps> you ain't got me. Good night, Schmidt. Now get that very strange. Schlafen Sie wohl. And cut that out. Bless you, Schmidt. Yep. With uh, the late Lilia Scala, German actress, Mr. Sidney Portier. But you know, he just, oh, every performance. You say you don't want to tell me how to live my life. So what do you think you've been doing? You tell me what rights I've got or haven't got and what I owe to you for what you've done for me? Let me tell you something. I owe you nothing. If you carried that bag a million miles, you did what you were supposed to do. Because you brought me into this world. And from that day, you owed me everything you could ever do for me. Like I will owe my son if I ever have another. But you don't own me. You can't tell me when or where I'm out of line. Or try to get me to live my life according to your rules. You don't even know what I am, Dad. You don't know who I am. You don't know how I feel, what I think. And if I try to explain it the rest of your life, you will never understand. You are 30 years older than I am. You and your whole lousy generation believes the way it was for you is the way it's got to be. And not until your whole generation has lain down and died will the dead weight of you be off our backs. You understand? You've got to get off my back. Isn't that a powerful moment? Sidney Portier and his father, played by Roy Glenn, talking about the difference in their generations. I mean, 1967 was such a year for Sidney Portier, probably one of his best years. But this, this is the part right here. Oh, and that's a commercial. I hate when, oh, I should just, you know, bog down and and get premium YouTube without the commercials. But it's not going to happen. You know, this is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. And we got to work with what we got. You two come here. ask you about Mr. Colbert. Let me understand this. You two came here to question me? Well, your your attitudes, Mr. Endicott, your points of view are a matter of record. Some people, well, let us say the people who work for Mr. Colbert might reasonably regard you as the person least likely to mourn his passing. We were just trying to clarify some of the evidence. Was Mr. Colbert ever in this greenhouse, say, last night about midnight? Good, Ashby. Yeah. You saw it. 
I saw it. But what are you going to do about it? I don't know. I'll remember that. There was a time when I could have had you shot. Oh, that's such a moment. And you know, when they were going to do that scene, Sidney Portier said, I will not do that scene unless I get to slap him back. That was the deal. And they stuck by that deal. My God. Mm. Directed by Norman Jewison, Rod Steiger, Sidney Portier. Won a whole bunch of Academy Awards deservedly so is this Sydney's best film probably I mean he's got so many but this one I mean you think of it I mean there's there's this wonderful conversation between him and Rod Steiger about loneliness and they how they respected each other (laughs) you know You know, Virgil, you are among the chosen few. How's that? Well, I think that you're the first human being that's ever been in here. (laughs) You can't be too careful, man. (laughs) You know a lot of things, don't you? What do you know about insomnia? Bourbon can't cure it. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Now look, I got no wife, I got no kids. Boy, I got a town that don't want me. that I have to oil myself. I got a desk with a busted leg and on top of that I got this uh... please. Don't you think that drive a man to take a few drinks? I'll tell you a secret. Nobody comes here.
to have to stir with love and then to have a theme song about it sung by Lulu who also wrote I don't want to fight for Tina Turner I mean come on you know if I can find it oh no that's I always hate it when there's music it's like oh we can't play it here we go this is powerful Portier, 1967. We could call the year of, of Sydney Portier. And you think of it, 1967, 1968, 69. You had, unfortunately, the riots. You have Watts. You have Detroit. And Sydney Portier was uh, right there on the forefront of the civil rights movement with Dr. King. And, um, You know, tackled tackled what was going on in his films, and and not a lot of people had the foresight to do that, and he did it. Got into a lot of trouble doing it, you know, and um, when you. St- you know. Ah, uh, here we go. Patch of blue with Elizabeth Hartman. May she rest in peace. Sydney Portier. Yes. Yes, they will love it. Uh huh. Uh huh. What are you laughing at? You sound so experienced. You're a baby. I'm no baby, Gordon. I got experience. You have, have you? Yeah, I've been done over about a year back. I don't know who he was. Some fellow Roseanne brought back. <laughs> I could tell they've been drinking. 
don't pay no attention to her. I know circus performer. Oh, but she can't see nothing. Yeah, but uh, you better get rid of her. Oh, all right. I'll go find the old man. He can take her for a while. Roseanne was having a good time for herself on that bed of hers. I know better now. I feel a bit sorry for her sometimes. Are you still there, Gordon? I'm here. <laughs> and then, of course, you know... Raisin in the sun. Um, what what an extraordinary career. He also directed some films. But what an extraordinary... Wrote a book, Measure of a Man. What's that he wants to do? 1961. A Raisin in the Sun. Oh, good for him to be business-minded. I have to. She won't give me the 50 cents. Why not? Because we don't have it. What do you tell the boy things like that for? Hey, son. Thanks, Daddy. In fact, here's another 50 cents. Get yourself some fruit or something or take a taxi cab to school. You know what I mean? Hey, dog! I think you better get that go to school, man. Okay. Bye. That's my boy. I know what you was thinking, and I don't want to hear it again. About what me and Willie Harris was talking about last night. Willie Harris is a good-for-nothing loudmouth. Anybody who talked to me has got to be a good-for-nothing loud. Charlie Atkins was a good-for-nothing loudmouth, too, wasn't he? When he wanted me to go in the dry-cleaning business with him. Now he's grossing $100,000 a year. $100,000 a year. Still call him a loudmouth good-for-nothing. Oh, Walter. Oh, Walter. And, you know, Sidney Portier, I mean, everyone agrees he is the true measure of a man, not only on film, but in life. Oh, my goodness. What, what an actor. There's so much to be said about this this actor I mean my goodness but it's good to sometimes hear it from the man himself guess who's coming to dinner how possible was it then in 1967 to make a film like that 
in America. It was close to impossible, primarily because the industry was not ready for such a film, you know. So it took a guy, Stanley Kramer, who said, I would like to make a film like this. Not because it's going to be sensational, not because it's going to be provocative, but because I'm a filmmaker in America and this is a part of America. It is a part of America. And if I use this format, I could speak to the humanity in people. So he sent me a script. I read it and I thought it was a wonderful idea. Terrific idea for the time. Scene with my dad, who had difficulties with what was about to happen. <laughs> it was interesting for me because I have a dad, you know, a guy that I loved a great deal. And I had to use him as my emotional reference when I was speaking to my movie dad, played by Roy Glenn, fine actor. It wasn't easy, but it was a scene that had to be played. So I played it as best I could and uh, worked out okay. So, that's from the man himself, Mr. Sidney Portier, who is still with us at the age of 90. Well, is he 94 yet? His birthday is the 20th, February 20th. A few days, Friday. I don't know, Saturday. Still going strong. <sighs> still inspiring. You know... Everyone loves working with him. Paul Newman, Oprah, Tony Curtis, Catherine Hepburn, and Spencer Tracy. Come on. In fact, didn't guess who's coming to dinner. Catherine Houghton, the niece of Catherine Hepburn, played her daughter and Spencer Tracy's daughter. Rod Steiger loved working with Sidney Portier. In fact, when they saluted Sidney Portier on they did this beautiful list, 100 Years, 100 Stars, and Sidney's on the list along with Katherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, and Rod Steiger said that scene that I played for you where they're drinking and they're talking about loneliness and insomnia and how bourbon can't cure it. And Rod Steiger says that was his favorite scene because they respected each other based on that loneliness that they both shared. Then Gregory Hines, the late Gregory Hines, who talks about Sidney winning the Academy Award and how it just, it floored him. How he didn't even hear his name being said. But he saw him come up and get the Academy Award. That's a moment. That's a moment. In fact, Sidney said when he received the Oscar, it is a long journey to this moment. He was aware fully of what was what was occurring. And he was the vessel. And then in 2002, 
Sidney Portier received an honorary Oscar 40 years after his Oscar win. And that same night, Denzel Washington, 40 years later, won the Best Actor Oscar for Training Day. And that same night, Halle Berry won. And so far, hasn't happened since. We've had many great actors who have won Best Actor. Forrest Whitaker, Jamie Foxx. So, but in the Best Actress category, just Halle Berry. Hopefully that changes with Miss Viola Davis. And see, Sidney Portier, that's his legacy. It's all these beautiful actors. Hispanic actors, Asian actors, black actors, gay actors, transgendered actors. Everyone who, you know, has felt what Sydney has felt being the first. So, yeah, it, it is a major, major thing to be talking about Sydney Portier. And... I thank Oprah Winfrey for always giving him a seat at her table because he he earned it. So did Dr. Maya Angelou, two pillars I know in Oprah's life. And I reference Oprah because of, of what she's done for literacy and what she's done to acknowledge the people that came before her, like Sidney Portier, like... Maya Angelou, who paved the way with their grace and dignity. As Whoopi Goldberg once said of Sidney Poitier, she says he is this elegant, dignified man, which is what he brings to every role. I would bust out my AFI's 100 Years, 100 Stars, but I don't feel like doing it. I'll watch it every now and then. It's, it's a moment. It's the treasure trove, which introduced me to all these beautiful classic stars. It is Pandora's box, literally. It was like I was unlocking this this gateway, you know, to Catherine Hepburn and Jean Harlow and Mae West and Sidney Poitier and Sophia Loren and Eva Gardner and, oh my God, um, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. I'm, I'm trying to name them all, you know. Uh, James Dean. I didn't know who James Dean was. I saw the AFI and went, whoa, East Feden. <sighs> And Mr. Oh, he's one of my favorites. Mm. Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum just didn't care. And all of these actors in Sidney Poitier have something in common. They are forever ingrained in our consciousness. And the fact that there was not many black actors at that time I mean, you think, okay, you got Sidney Poitier, you got Dorothy Dandridge, you, uh, Harry Belafonte, Paul Robeson, and then, of course, in the 70s, emerging, James Earl Jones, Cicely Tyson, Paul Winfield, Diane Carroll. In the 80s, you know, Denzel Washington, Danny Glover, um, Louis Gossett Jr., you know, um, Forrest Whitaker, who made his debut in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, went on to win an Oscar for playing Idi Amin. Jamie Foxx, who started out on In Living Color. 
Morgan Freeman, the electric company. Hello. Morgan Freeman probably is the direct beneficiary for me of Sidney Portier because of the grace and the dignity and all these beautiful roles that Morgan Freeman is able to play because he saw Sidney Portier and was inspired. You don't have a Shawshank Redemption without Sidney Portier inspiring that young Morgan Freeman to go out. You don't have a Malcolm X without that young Denzel Washington being inspired by Sidney Portier or Whoopi Goldberg. You don't have Seeley in The Color Purple. You don't have Steven Spielberg directing her. He also being inspired by Sidney Portier. You know, you don't have Viola Davis who just brings it to every performance. You know she watched Sidney Portier and went, whoa, as did Cicely Tyson. You know, Diane Carroll. Oh, my goodness. All the wonderful directors. Stanley Kramer loved working with Sidney Portier. Guess who's coming to dinner, you know. Uh... And then the cast of To Sir With Love. Patricia Rutledge, who, you know, um, is in that great British show. She was into Sir With Love. You you recognize her. She's one of the teachers. Or I think she's the headmistress, the headmaster, uh, but headmistress of the school that he works at. And hey, it doesn't get any better than that to have Lulu singing To Sir With Love to Sidney Portier. <sighs> what an icon. So tonight on the Dr. Seuss Film Podcast, this is the month of February. It should be longer. I agree with Morgan Freeman on that. Sidney Portier, still going strong, still inspiring, still giving us a moment, a pause that not many actors can do. Because you got to understand at that time, I mean diversity in Hollywood at that time Martin Sheen changed his name from uh, you know uh, Estevez to Sheen Anthony Quinn was from Chihuahua, Mexico Rita Hayworth's real name was Margarita Concina Anna, Anna Mae Wong who was a wonderful Asian actress who didn't get the roles that she should have because of Hollywood racism Lena Horne, who didn't get the roles that she deserved because of Hollywood racism. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And what we remember are her, her songs like Stormy Weather. And then you have Sidney Portier, who is just there on the forefront. Not just in the fight, but changing the landscape forever. Okay. And I would be remiss. There was another actor. He died young. And I have to mention mention him because I just thought of him. Sergeant Rutledge. Directed by John Ford. Starring Woody Strode, the late Woody Strode. 
He was a decathlon football star who was also one of the first black American players in the National Football League in the post-war era. After football, he went on to become a film actor where he was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Spartacus. He served in the United States Army in World War II. Died in 1994. Yep. So think of that 1960s and how the landscape was starting to change. Okay. The 70s basically are the, the second golden age of film. And then continuing on, you know, and here we are in this world of inclusion, which is always changing. It's always, it's changing. And so that is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast at 11.11. Make a wish. Thank you, Sydney Portier. Good night. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Um, well, it's been an interesting month talking about film, talking about black films. And, you know, you got to remember in the early 30s and 40s, usually you couldn't mix the cast. It had to be either all white or all black. And then if you did have black characters, they were, you know, the maids and the butlers and um, or the best friend. I never liked that. I was like, you know, and as and as a Hispanic, you know, and I see that like I love how a lot of people I know watch Hallmark. Oh, well, there's a few people on there who are Asian or black or Mexican. Yeah, but they're usually the best friend. They're not the central character. And that's what I have a problem with. Hallmark, you listening? Remember, Maya Angelou used to write for Hallmark. Remember that? Remember that? What would she think of the Hallmark Channel? I wonder. I remember when she said something. She was talking to David Frost. And she said, you know, I haven't seen a black person on Jeopardy in a long time. And I think by her saying that, you know, come on. (sighs) Maya Angelou, probably one of the most amazing I think people take her for granted. Um, you know, she directed a movie. She directed one movie um, called Down in the Delta in 1998. A really great cast. Um, I love Al- I've always loved Alfrey Wooder. I always have. And um, Al Freeman Jr., you know, or is it Al Freeman, you know, was in Malcolm X. A lot of people, if you if you remember Malcolm X, he played you know uh, Elijah Muhammad. But this is uh, Maya Angelou's only directorial film, Down in the Delta, starring Alfre Wooder, Alfre Jr., Esther Roll, Mary Alice, Loretta Devine, and Wesley Snipes. Oh yeah, it's an interesting story. It's, there's drug use, there's Alzheimer's, the roots of the family, and rebuilding. You know, Maya Angelou, 
I am located in Stockton, California. I don't like to say that a lot because I don't want all of you to come track me down. Um, my Angelo had Stockton ties. You know, her mother lived in uh, the Bay Area and, um, you know, uh, I, I knew a lot of people who knew Dr. Maya Angelo. you know, um, yeah. Is it is it interesting? My mother went to go see her talk. I, I didn't go, unfortunately, because I was a teenager and, you know, you don't want to go anywhere with mom. <sighs> Dr. Maya Angelo, born April 4th, 1928, died May 28th, 2014. I read I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. That is such a tough book to read. But you know what? Nobody could write about the experiences that she had like Dr. Maya Angelou you know the fact that she was raped and then she didn't speak for years and it was poetry that brought her back poetry isn't that that's like if you didn't talk for a long time and singing and she did sing singing brought you back there is a really great documentary about Maya Angelou and it came out a couple of years after her death um if I can find it. Okay. And, um, yeah. What, what an icon, you know, her son guy tells a really interesting story. First, I, I want to say that, um, you know, my Angela, she did Oprah, Oprah's, um, you know, uh, series one time. And she said something very profound about, be someone's rainbow and she says you know i've had a lot of rainbows and i've had a lot of clouds okay the documentary is called maya angelo and still i rise from american masters check that out i want to reference that because oh my goodness this woman her son and her grandchildren i mean you know people would always say you know what is it like to be in the shadow and they said no we grew up in her light and that is very profound now this is a really great clip so dr maya angelo knew both malcolm x and martin luther king jr oh she did and her son talks about meeting malcolm x when malcolm x came to ghana the African-Americans who were there, we gathered around him like his children. And he liked me and we liked each other. I met Malcolm X at my mother's house in Ghana. My mother went out and bought about six chickens. And she rarely fried chicken. And I was almost sorry to meet Malcolm X because the chicken was so good and I had to share it with him. But the thing about Malcolm is... For a person of his stature, for me to ask a question and for him to think about it and then come back with an answer. <sighs> it captured my heart and his answers were so phenomenal. We wanted to meet so he could tell us what was going on in the States and what his plans were. And we found out that his quest was to find an African government that would take the United Nations Genocide Convention and 
make a charge against the United States. African nations and Asian nations and Latin American nations look very hypocritical when they stand up in the United Nations condemning the racist practices of South Africa and saying nothing in the UN about the racist practices manifest every day against Negroes in this society. You know, that's Malcolm X. And Dr. Myangelo was like, you know, I want to go back and work for him. She did. You know, she, she lived him. You know, I mean, I also it was around the time that he was changing his ideas. I ever had started very early with Mama saying, when you get, give. And when you learn, teach. That would take you all over the world. I used to think I was a writer who could teach. Now I know I'm a teacher who can write. And when I get a class together, I look at them and think, you poor dears. <laughs> you poor little darlings. You think that you've come to be taught by a celebrity. I promise you, you'll never work as hard in your life as you'll work in my class. But you'll never be the same either. The theme in my class, all the classes, no matter what I'm teaching, is I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. That statement, if you look under Terence with one R in the encyclopedia, you will see beside his name in Latin, homo sum humanini ila me alienum puto. This was stated by an African, Terentius Affer. He was a slave, he was sold to a Roman senator. He was freed by that senator. He wrote the most popular plays in Rome. Five of those plays in that one statement have come down to us from 154 BC. I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. I tell my students, when you can internalize that, you can never again say when a person commits the most horrific crime, you can never say, oh, I could never do that. You can say, I intend never to do that. You have the same components in you. But if you can do that with the negative, just think of what you can do with the positive. If a human being dreams a great dream, dares to love somebody, writes a stunning book, does an important movie, you can learn from it. You know, I think in these times, And, you know, I I remember when she was interviewed about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the fact that we had a black president. And she said Dr. King would not feel that, well, we're we're done now. No, 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 no. She said that. She says, no, there's still a lot to be done. He would still say, no, there's still more to be done. Just because, you know, okay, this happened. This is a step. This is a step. Yeah, you know, um, I have to reference, um, I'm a member of the LNC and um, got my patch right here. And uh, thank you, Meg. And I have to reference Mr. George Stromboulopoulos, who probably did. Oprah and George Stromboulopoulos and um, David Frost probably did the three great interviews of Dr. Maya Angelou. Where I was captivated, I was riveted. When I was a teenager, I watched Dr. Maya Angelou being interviewed by David Frost. And just the way she spoke about words, I went, my teenage brain went, oh 
shit. I like how you... And then to read her books. I remember I had her book and I was working in the library in high school. Because you could get... It It was part of a credit. You either did... I think um, you were a TA or this. And I worked in the library. And I remember the lady I worked with. um, I don't know what happened to her. Miss um, Machado, wherever you are. And she... She borrowed my book and she bound it for me. Well, she put plastic on it to protect it. I was very moved by that. Such a sweet person. And, um, but we talked a lot about books. We talked a lot about literature. And, um, Dr. Maya Angelou, you know, those poems, I mean, and, and, you know, I'm a film person, if you remember Poetic Justice, starring Janet Jackson, Tupac, Regina King. Come on. Miss um, Jennifer Lewis is also in there. Great, great Jennifer Lewis. She has a great book called The Mother of Black Hollywood that I'm currently listening to. Listen to it. It's hilarious. But John Singleton, may he rest in peace, directed Janet Jackson, Tupac, and Dr. Maya Angelou in Poetic Justice, where Janet Jackson is basically reciting those words like phenomenal woman and um alone and oh my goodness she's reading them as if they are her own words and it is you know it it is it's not a perfect film but i guarantee you if you watch poetic justice first of all you're going to see the range of tupac as an actor actor okay and then dr maya angelo you know, and Janet Jackson, and um, I, I always felt that Tupac stole the movie, basically, because you know it was a, it was a Janet Jackson vehicle. Um, but in the interview with George Strombolopoulos, Doctor Maya Angelou says, "I didn't know, it, I didn't know he was six pack." <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, um, but she said they were all her children as was George and um and then Oprah Oprah loved Dr. Maya Angelou I love how Dr. Maya Angelou would talk about her when she was first she first interviewed her in the 70s and she says who are you girl yeah you know it was it was great those three interviews I love things that happen in threes take your minds out of the gutter or put them back there but you know we're, we're talking about Dr. Maya Angelou that's another thing I want to take from George Trombolopoulos' interview, no one has ever asked her or said that the former careers that she had and the judgment that people place on that. And she said, well, you know, and I'm not going to play it because I want you to watch it. It is a really, really great interview. And um, when she died, I remember watching that and being very moved. You know, um, she lived as long as she did. You know, she she had a very intense, loving, and very colorful life. Very. She did things that I think many of us would walk away from. But she did them. She didn't need to make any apologies for what she did. She did it. She did it. Um, if When you watch the documentary on her it is very very interesting and as someone you know who i studied her 
and I still do today. And her words of wisdom are so moving. They're just so moving. And we all find um, something behind it. You know, this is this is from the documentary, uh, and still I rise. Use his words. Use his how are you? Fine, thank you. Verbs, adverbs, adjectives, nouns, pronouns. The writer has to take these most known things and put them together in such a way that a reader says, I never thought of it that way before. It's hard. It's, it's a challenge. And I know many writers, and I'm one, who says, Lloyd, are you sure you wanted me to do this? When Cage Bird came out in 69, she had no idea how popular and beloved she would become around the world. Yep. What an icon. You know, um, she, she lived many, many different lives, many different experiences. Um, but I want to leave you tonight. Oh, and she talked about James, James Baldwin and, you know, all these great writers that she just loved. Um, yeah. And okay. The, the recording almost stopped and, and we don't want that to happen. So I will leave you with this from the great Dr. Maya Angela, wherever you are. In history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I rise. I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just cause I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. <laughs> Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides. Just like hope springing high. Still I rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes. Shoulders falling down like teardrops. Weakened by my soulful cries. Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just cause I laugh. As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness, but just like life, I rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. <laughs> Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. <laughs> Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling and bearing in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak miraculously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, there I go. That's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. We end it.
with Dr. Maya Angelou's beautiful poem. I rise, as always, unpleasant dreams. But I want to say this, um, or I want to play it because you know, this is. I remember my friend when we were working about four years ago. I was I was reminding of it her it today, and I found that I think she'd had a bad day, and she says it really helped her to be someone's rainbow, you know. And Dr. Maya Angelou. It was all about positivity didn't like when people came into her home and used a racial pejorative or you know a discriminating comment against somebody she wanted everyone to feel love an american song 19th century which um is so great it says when it looked like the sun wasn't gonna shine anymore god Put a rainbow in the clouds. Imagine. And I've had so many rainbows in my clouds. I had a lot of clouds. But I have had so many rainbows. And one of the things I do when I step up on a stage, when I stand up to translate, when I go to teach my classes, when I go to direct a movie, I bring everyone who has ever been kind to me, with me. Black, white, Asian, Spanish-speaking, Native American, gay, straight, everybody. I said, come with me. I'm going on the stage. Come with me, I need you now. Long dead, you see? So I don't ever feel I have no help. I've had rainbows in my clouds. And the thing to do, it seems to me, is to prepare yourself so that you can be a rainbow in somebody else's cloud. Somebody who may not look like you, may not call God the same name you call God, if they call God at all, you see? And may not eat the same dishes prepared the way you do, may not dance your dances or speak your language, but be a blessing to somebody. That's what I think. She was an actor, a singer, a dancer, a director, a poet, a writer, a professor, a lover, a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, an aunt, a sister, a friend, Dr. Maya Angelou. She encompassed so many different things. And on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, I talked about her because even though she made that one film, it is a profound film down in the Delta. And her life itself, is a it is a moment. Is a moment to behold, and as always, unpleasant dreams. Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. This February is almost coming to a close. It's been very interesting talking about these films, and then, you know, you have those lists. You know, the AFI used to do those 100 years, 100 stars. You know what's not on that list? It should be Boys in the Hood, color purple. And that's the thing that bothers me is, is that Hollywood needs to acknowledge that the world is not just white, 
that the world is black and Asian and Hispanic and gay, straight, bi, trans. That's what the world is. And Hollywood needs to show that in their appreciation of classics. Boys in the Hood is a classic. The Color Purple is a classic. Friday is a classic. The Nutty Professor, you know. Coming to America, the fact that they did a second coming to America 30 years later. I mean, come on. You know. Um, but I the other day when I was talking about Boys in the Hood, I was aware of that. I thought, wow, that is such a great movie. Such a iconic movie, and it's not on any of those lists of the the century. And it should be. And what a prolific director John Singleton was. He, you know, he's only been gone for two years. It's weird to talk about him like that. Say, oh, was, not is. You know? Yeah. This was a weird week. And, you know, I have to mention Mr. Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who was a beat poet. The beats were basically inspired by Bebop, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, and then, of course, inspired by Charlie Parker uh, and a lot of black poets. And he left this earth at 101. What a way to go. And Gordon Parks, he lived into his 90s, died, I think, in 2006, you know. And the longevity of these icons. Sidney Portier last weekend turned 94. So there's something, there's something to this art, this, you know, this industry. Mm. Yeah. And we are about to enter March. But before we do, I'm going to talk about, of course, coming up Shaft. And of course, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, because he's been in so many films. What an icon. Got into a lot of trouble early on saying what roles he wouldn't play. Yeah. Or how he knew that it wasn't written for him. And you know, when I think of Margaret Freeman, that voice, that voice, that voice over voice of his, and then of course you got to think about, you know, uh, James Earl Jones who did the voice of Darth Vader. What a legendary moment. That a, a man, he, he has said this. Here he was from the South with a really bad stutter. And he grew up to do the voice of one of the greatest villains of all time, Darth Vader. Isn't that amazing? Or Samuel Jackson, who had a, who had a really bad stutter and learned to get rid of it by saying motherfucker all the time. Yeah. To rise above the fray. 
encouragement to be heard. And, you know, what's weird is, is that so many films that are diverse now are right there. We can access them. We can watch them. But the fact that they're not held in the same esteem as these classics like, you know, the Philadelphia story or Bridge Over the River Kwai or Lawrence of Arabia or Titanic, you know, um, you know what's funny about Titanic? There are a lot of the stage extras in that movie are from Mexico. Yeah, they are. Because they filmed it in Mexico. I think they did. I'd have to go back and look. So I guess that's, you know, they were all in the Titanic. Well, the fake one. The one that James Cameron built. In 1996. Yeah. So black film really is American film. It's world film. And these characters, I mean, we've talked about so many. Color Purple. Guess is coming to dinner. In the heat of the night with Sidney Portier. That's a legendary moment. Stormy weather with Lena Horne and the fact that at that time you couldn't mix a cast. It uh, it either had to be a film with white people or black people. And where in stormy weather, she's singing that song. That's what people remember most about that movie is her song, the title song. And then Cabin in the Sky where she's playing the other woman... Uh, and, and Ethel Waters is the wife. In fact, she says that to her. She says to little Joe, she says, now you just sit, watch what you say around me to your wife around me. And she says, oh, I'm still the wife and I still got the inside track. Yeah. Interesting moments on film. Icons. Or Claudine with Miss Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll was such a beauty and made her debut in Carmen Jones with Dorothy Dandridge. Hello. Mm. Oh, here's a distinction right here. So Dorothy Dandridge was the first African-American to be nominated for Best Female Lead Actress. Okay. Diane Carroll was the first black actress to have a... TV series in the 60s she played the nurse um what was it called um oh Diane Carroll from uh Dynasty she was nominated for playing Claudine best actress you know um only a handful of actresses have been nominated for best actress that are black Diane Carroll Diane Carroll was in Eve's Bayou, directed by Casey Lemons. Played a very small but pivotal role. Ah, here we go. She rose to prominence in her earliest major film studio films um, featuring all-black cast Carmen Jones and Porgy and Bess. In 1962, Carroll won a Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical, a first for an African-American woman for her 
role in the Broadway musical No Strings. In 1974, she starred in Claudine alongside James Earl Jones, for which she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. Her title role in Julia, for which she received the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Television Series, was the first series on American television to star a black woman in a non-stereotypical role. It was a milestone both in her career and the medium. In the 1980s, this is what I remember because I am a child. I was born in 1980. At the end of it, she played the role of Dominique Devereaux, a mixed-race diva in the primetime soap drama Dynasty. Carol was the recipient of numerous stage and screen nominations and awards. But see, Dominique and uh, mm, yeah, from 1984 to 1987, the character is surprise half-sister millionaire Blake Carrington. Dominique was written out of the series at the end of the seventh season and did not return for the 1991 miniseries Dynasty, The Reunion. <laughs> I didn't know she was Blake uh, Carrington's sister. Remember, I was a little kid, so I was kind of like, you know, um, mm. Oh, Linda Evans says something about it. Whatever. Not a fan of Linda Evans. Um, yeah. I think she died on Dynasty because I remember they had like a funeral for her. I don't know. I was little. I would see it and. Let me see. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. Learning a lot about it. Because, you know, I, I vaguely remember a lot of Dynasty. Miss Diane Carroll. Oh, God. What an icon. Died in 2019. Mm. These, these, you know, she, she made a splash with that TV series, Julia. And, um, yeah. So, as always, unpleasant dreams, and we will talk more tomorrow about black cinema and these icons that we need to all know of. Unpleasant dreams. <laughs>